Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. In this episode of Bible Biogs in 30 minutes, we're going to be focusing on the life of Aaron, brother of Moses, Mike, and uh, the context which we touched on in the last episode was that here we are down in Egypt. That's where it's all happening. Is that right? That's right. God had promised that the descendants of Abraham were going to multiply. That's exactly what had happened through the stories that follow of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jacob, who has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel that are growing. The trouble is they're now in the wrong place. And the stories of Joseph showed us how the descendants of Abraham had had to move from the promised land from Canaan down to Egypt to avoid uh, a famine. And so the story of Aaron and Moses that are in Exodus is a story that is set there when they have been in Egypt for a, a very long time. So Moses has this very central role, of course, in the whole story of the Bible, but uh, it's his brother Aaron that we're going to be just thinking about for a minute or two. Now, uh, what, what do we know about that relationship between Aaron and, and Moses, bearing in mind that Moses was sort of adopted into the into the palace, wasn't he, in, uh, in Egypt? Yeah, well, Aaron was a sort of um, piggy in the middle. Uh, any listeners who, who are the middle of three children will perhaps know what we mean by that, because Aaron had an older sister, Miriam, then there was Aaron, and then there was the younger brother, Moses. And that middle child often can be the one that's for whom life is is challenging. So, so, so Aaron is Moses' older brother, and did they grow up together to some extent, uh, other than when Moses was adopted? Well, yes, they did, because what happens in these early chapters of Exodus is that God is fulfilling his promise to the descendants of Abraham. They are growing, they are multiplying. And so in chapter one of Exodus, we get this picture of them growing and growing and growing, and becoming a bit of a threat as Pharaoh is concerned. Think today of how sometimes people can feel threatened by immigrants coming in and taking over an area, in inverted commas, feeling that their culture is being threatened, their way of life. And that's the situation that we start with in, in Exodus chapter one. And they're growing that much that Pharaoh decides he needs to do something about it. And there's been a change of dynasty, as we would call it these days. And the new Pharaonic dynasty knows nothing of what Joseph had done for previous pharaohs. So feels he owes these people nothing. So first of all, he puts puts them into slavery to, to build the cities for him. Mm -hmm. And then when they still keep growing, he decides that what they need to do is, is to kill off all the young born babies. Now, Aaron was clearly born before that thing happened. So we've got Miriam and Aaron born. After Aaron's birth, this decree comes from the royal palace that the midwives are to kill every male Hebrew baby boy. Actually, they're to be thrown into the Nile. Think how horrible mm. this would be, the Nile full of crocodiles. And 
in order to rescue her son from this, Moses's mother, having given birth to him, hides him. That well-known story of making this little Moses basket. Mm. Actually, interestingly, the word there for the basket is the same word as the Hebrew for ark in the story of Noah that we looked at in a previous episode. Mm. It's a little rescue boat for him. She makes this ark, covers it with pitch, hides her son there in the bulrushes, and trusts that God will provide for him somehow. And chapter two tells us of how one of the royal princesses went down to the river to bathe one day, suddenly hears this baby crying, saying, what's that over there? Send some maid to go and look. And she comes back and says, oh, look, it's a little baby. It must be one of those Hebrew babies. But clearly there was something about this baby that caught her eye, though at a bigger level, clearly here, God was at work. And so the princess says, I love this little boy. I'm going to have him for myself. Despite the fact the Pharaoh had said that all those babies will be killed. Well, you know what royal princesses are like, don't you? She decides that she's going to keep him. But of course, she's a princess. She's not going to bring the baby up herself. So she says to her servant, listen, go and find me someone who can nurse this child until he's older. So the maid goes running off and blow me. Who does she run into? But Moses's own mother and sister, and ends up asking Moses's own birth mother to raise him for her until he's old enough to go and live in the palace. So Aaron and Miriam and Moses did spend their early years together. Mm. Moses, this special little baby who'd been spared from death, perhaps therefore getting a lot of love and affection, who knows how Aaron in the middle might have ended up feeling with that. But at some point then, Moses and Aaron were separated because Moses ends up in the palace. That's right. As he is a little older, and we're, we're not told how old, he is taken back to the palace to be brought up and adopted as an Egyptian prince. Now, clearly over those years that he was at home, his mum must have told him the stories of who their people were, what God had done for them. And these would all come back just a few years down the road. But for now, Moses is taken away to the palace, Aaron left at home with his sister Miriam and with his family. And now the two are separated. So just Aaron and Miriam are growing up together. Moses is in the palace and at what point then does Aaron get reunited with, with Moses? Huh. It's not until they're all very much older. We don't know exactly the time scales here, but we then suddenly get time windows. Because what we find is, chapter two tells us simply, one day when Moses had grown up, who knows exactly how old that was. But one day he went out, see what was happening out in the city, and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew. Now, remember, if he's been told when he was younger, this is your people, something rose up within him. And he quickly lashes out, kills the Egyptian, tries to bury him in the sand. Really easy to do in that part of the world. And then when he goes out on another occasion and stops two guys fighting, they turn around and say, what are you going to do with us then? Kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And suddenly 
he knows he's being caught out. Mm. By the way, sin that we always do in secret always has a way of coming out in the end, and here it did. And so for some reason, even though he was a royal prince, Moses fled. I've often wondered, <laughs> why didn't he just say, who cares, I'm a prince? But there must have been something going on behind the scenes that we didn't know. So he flees east to the desert in Midian. Mm -hmm. And Acts chapter 7, where Stephen tells us the Jewish tradition of this story, we discover that he was there until he was 40 years old. So we've got a long period here where the two brothers knew one another when they were young. Clearly Aaron and Miriam and his parents would have been seeing what was happening to Moses from afar. They would have been aware of what was going on in the palace, I'm sure. But now suddenly Moses has to flee to Midian. He runs for his life. And it's going to be many years now before the brothers are reunited again. Interesting that he doesn't rush home to his birth mother and his brother and his sister. It is, isn't it? And there's a lot here we're not told. And one of the things I've learned over the years is when the Bible doesn't tell you something, one, it's probably not important. Two, be careful not to read your own interpretation in. Mm. But clearly there was some sort of fear here in Mo Moses that caused him to flee, actually to get as far away as he could. Midian was a long, long way away. And he runs as far as he can to get away from the consequences of his action, just like some of us do today running to get away from the consequences of our actions rather than facing up to it. And is that then where Moses meets up with Aaron again after all those years? It's while Moses is in Midian, as we've seen in a previous episode, that he has this encounter with the living God and his life is completely turned around. And having had this encounter with God, God then tells Moses to go back to Egypt because he's going to use him to free his people. Now, there's a whole load of conversations that go on between the two, but eventually Moses returns to Egypt. Here's the interesting thing. In chapter four, we read that while God is speaking to Moses to go back to Egypt, back in Egypt, God is speaking to Aaron. And in chapter 4, verse 27, we read that the Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. He sends him to meet his brother. So he goes out, they meet one another on the way, they kiss, they embrace one another. And then Moses, the Bible sums it up as Moses told Aaron everything that God had said. I don't know how long that must have taken and how quickly Aaron responded or not, whether he needed convincing in the same way that Moses himself had. What a reunion, though, that must have been. Oh, man, can you imagine it? I mean, these television programmes that you see sometimes when uh, families are separated early on and then the joy when, you know, the TV presenter says, and now here from the other side of the world is your sister, and the joy and the tears. And after, it must have been something like 30 years, they see one another. And they see one another and there's the human joy. And yet for both of them, they know that that is mixed with, but God is also doing something here. This is not just a family reunion. God has told both of us 
that something very big is about to happen and little old does are going to be part of that. This is in the context then of slavery in Egypt and uh, all kinds of abuses, no doubt. Is that right? That's right. We get some windows into that in, in Exodus chapter 5, where the slavery has continued, where the Pharaoh really is just using this immigrant people group as his unpaid workforce. And God sends Moses with Aaron. It's interesting, Moses is the leader, but Moses had had this discussion with God at the encounter with the burning bush. And one of his arguments was, I'm no good as a speaker, you can't send me. And God had said to him at that point, then take your brother Aaron. He can be the spokesman. Interesting, because that tells us something. Moses may have been the anointed leader, but it looked like Aaron was the better speaker, Mm, the more articulate man. Better communicator. Yeah. And so um, the two of them begin to go to Pharaoh and begin to say what God has said, you know, let my people go that they may serve me. And Pharaoh's answer is no, he is not going to lose his unpaid workforce. So there was a kind of negotiation, as it were, that goes on over a period of time when the 10 plagues and everything that we've, we've, we've read about and heard about. So in this relationship then with Moses and Aaron, Aaron is the sort of spokesman, really, is he? He's the, he's the one that does the talking, does the negotiations. Yes, although often it's, it also says that Moses said. Mm-hmm. So again, we're not told exactly who did all of the conversation, but yeah, there are the 10 plagues. And as we said in a previous episode, not just 10 nasty things that God chose, 10 things that challenged 10 specific gods of Egypt. This was about who is the real God around here? And God was making clear to him, to Pharaoh, that it was him. I'm kind of imagining that you've got Moses who was brought up within the royal palace and all the benefits and blessings, as it were, of that. And, and Aaron, who was you know, back home with, with mum and sister, uh, living in their Hebrew culture, and the two brothers coming together, that combined sort of teamwork uh, in terms of their presentation to, to Pharaoh. It, it, you know, there's power in team. Absolutely. And of course, as you say, they would have been very different. The life for Aaron as part of a slave people versus Moses, who would have had the very best that the palace could have afforded, the, you know, the best food, the best wine, the best drink, the best beds, the best everything, the best education. As we saw in a previous episode, Moses would have learned many of the skills he would have needed later, like leadership and military skills and, uh, and writing. That would be very useful for the law later. And Aaron, a very different character. And yet God puts these two together. And I mean, we see that so often still in church leadership today. Some of the best teams are those where they are not all carbon copies of one another, but where they come with their different experiences and background, but with a common call of God on their lives to work together. And yeah, having worked in many teams over my life, occasionally that can produce some clashes and some friction. But, you know, when you work those through, like these brothers no doubt had to do, what an amazing thing God can do through it. Because obviously Moses was dependent to, you know, a large degree on Aaron for the success of what was necessary. Yes, absolutely. Aaron was indeed going to be, you know, his spokesman. 
and he was going to play a key role. It was not all about Moses. Though it's interesting as the story goes on, the story really focuses on Moses. And Aaron sort of is the man who plays the second fiddle. He's the second violinist, not the first violinist. And you know what? That can be tough at times. When you are called to a role by God where you are not the one in the main spotlight, but you are so crucial to what's going on. There are examples elsewhere in the Bible, people like David and Jonathan or Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas, an amazingly gifted guy, a guy who was a really good speaker and yet who's prepared to play the second violin to the guy who plays the first violin. Why? Because he recognises that's what God has called him to. And that's one of the real qualities about Aaron, this guy who's prepared to play the number two role all the way through and to play faithfully and not looking to undermine his brother, though he did have his odd wobble here and there. (laughs) So how successful was that team and how important was it that Aaron played his, his part? Well, it was very important. And one of the great things about teams is that often they function best when they're given specific roles. And what will happen as the people eventually leave Egypt through that ceremony of the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea that we've looked at previously. And as they move into the wilderness, Moses will become the spokesperson of God. He will be the one who goes up the mountain to get the commandments from God and to bring them back to the people. Almost a mouthpiece. Yeah, Mm. very much so. Mm. But Aaron is given um, a very specific role. While he's been a bit of a mouthpiece earlier on, he will now be given the honour of being Israel's first high priest. And it will be there at Mount Sinai that God will give the law. And part of that will be the giving of the instructions of sacrifice as a means of dealing with Israel's sin. And it will be Aaron and his sons after him who will become Israel's first high priest, the priesthood will be descended from him. So this will be a huge honour for him. So the two guys are given different roles. And very often team works so well when we know our role and we give ourselves to that, not wanting what the other person has got. I'll come back to that role of high priest in a minute, but I'm just trying to picture the scene. You know, you're saying that the large numbers of Hebrew slaves have come out of Egypt as part of the Exodus and are now in the in the desert. And there's this point where Moses is up the mountain hearing from God and down below, the bottom of the mountain, Aaron is, is there uh, amongst what many, many people. You know, people are looking to him while Moses is out of the way, as it were. Is that right? Yes. And just in passing, many, many people, some scholars think it could have been up to two million people. So we're talking pretty big numbers. So people are looking to him. And while Moses is up the mountain and not up the mountain just once, the text actually tells us, you know, he went up at least seven times to meet with God, hear from God and receive God's commandments. There is Aaron, the number two guy. And there's one of these occasions when Moses is up the mountain for just a bit too long. And people start saying, do you know what? I don't think he's coming back. I think some wild animal must have killed him. And 
on one of those occasions when he's left in charge in Exodus 24, under pressure from the people, and here's an interesting window into his character, he yields to pressure from the people saying, this is ridiculous. He's been up there too long. He is not going to come back. What we need to do is to make ourselves a god to worship and to go back to Egypt. And he gives into that. And in Exodus 32, he makes the golden calf. He tells people to bring their gold ornaments with them, many of which had been given to them by the Egyptians as they fled, melts it all down, makes this golden calf and says these most stupid words. This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. Now, the calf, remember, was a very common symbol. The calf or the bull was a very common symbol of gods in the ancient world, including in Egypt. So there was a moment where this guy yields to pressure. You know, when we yield to pressure of voices around us rather than sticking with what God has said to us is so often when we end up in trouble, just like he did. So he followed the popular vote, and this calf, this golden idol that was made, that wasn't even his idea, was it? No, it was the people who wanted to do it. They thought it would be a good thing to do. Um, but he has to bear responsibility. He'd been left in charge of the people. God speaks to Moses and says, there's trouble down the bottom of the hill. You better get yourself down there. And when Moses comes down, of course, he comes down and Aaron's quick to do what Adam and Eve had done, blame shift. There's that word again. Hmm. wasn't me, it was the people. Hmm. Moses destroys the calf, melts it down, makes the people drink what's left of it. And this was a sad, sad story at this crucial point, all because Aaron gave in to pressure around him. Changed the relationship to some degree between Moses and Aaron, you would have thought. Yes, I think so, because I think, again, if we try to imagine ourselves in Moses's position, he trusted him. He trusted him to lead these people. This was the guy who's going to be the high priest of Israel, and I can't trust you to do something like this. I think it reflects what pressure there must have been, how very big the pressure must have been. Clearly wasn't one or two people coming with this good idea. There must have been a groundswell. How easy it is to give way when there's a groundswell to say yes for a quiet life rather than sticking by what you know God has said. And that was one of the points where Aaron really failed quite badly. Interesting, though, that, as you say, he went on still to have the honour of being appointed high priest in this cultural setting. Well, what did that actually entail? Well, as high priest with his sons and their descendants as priests forever in Israel, his was going to be the responsibility of offering the sacrifices to God. Why sacrifice? Well, that was going to be the God-appointed way of reminding Israel of their sin. It was as the animal was slaughtered. This was a reminder of what the New Testament will sum up as the wages of sin is death. By the way, we often think that it was the priests who sacrificed the animal. Read Leviticus chapter one, and it's really clear that you, the men actually, the head of their family, you were the one who slaughtered the animal, slit its throat. The priest caught the blood in the bowl 
and took it to the altar. And the killing of that animal served as two things. One as a reminder that the wages of sin is death. Look, because of your sin, something has had to die. It should have been you. But God says, I'll accept a substitute, an animal substitute, never a human being in Old Testament religion. And the priest's job would be to be the the go-between, to be the one who joins sinful man and a holy God through the offering of their sacrifice. As we get to the New Testament, the New Testament will pick up and say, and that's exactly what Jesus was for us our go-between, our perfect high priest, Hebrews will describe him as, the one who not only was the priest who offered the sacrifice that pleased God, but the one who was the sacrifice himself, the son of God, and that's why this sacrifice worked. So hugely important because the, was the priest was the one who made it possible for continuing fellowship and relationship to occur between God and sinful people so that when they sinned, there was a means of that sin being dealt with. And some of that sin was personal and individual. Some of it was sacrifice that was offered for the whole nation, like in Leviticus 16, the day of atonement, when the high priest came into his own and carried out incredibly detailed rituals as a way of covering all the unconfessed sin of the nation over that year. So we take on a hugely significant role. So this number two role that he'd had, and indeed the go-between role that you just referred to, it just has an echo perhaps of the role he had with the confrontations with Pharaoh. There was an element of that, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Perhaps a period of preparation in some respects. I don't know. Yeah. And do you know what? That's so important because um, nothing is wasted in our life. We're often periods of preparation. That time Moses spent in the palace, preparation to learn writing, to learn leadership skills, that preparation for Moses in Midian, learning how to survive in the desert. And here now is preparation for for Aaron, serving as the number two to his brother, but learning how crucial a number two can be. There was a little point in his life where being number two just got to him. Uh, And there's this story in, in Numbers, Numbers chapter 12, where Um, He takes part in a a rather ill-advised family revolt uh, against Moses on on the ground that he and Miriam deserved a bit more recognition. And do you know why I love that story? It's so human. Um, Maybe some of our listeners out there are, are busy serving God in some way, serving the church, and they never get recognized. Nobody ever says thank you. And it's so easy to, at that point to think, well, someone notice me. I tell you this, God notices you. God notices every little thing that we do. But there was this little rebellion against God for a moment that uh, God has to deal with. It again reflects perhaps Aaron was easily swayed, perhaps by his stronger sister. But that moment of just feeling a little bit insecure in who he was, he had such an important role. And yet him and Miriam were feeling, why haven't we got the number one role? God can speak through us as much as through you, was their challenge. And they had to learn the hard way with God's judgment that that's not how it was. So this guy wasn't perfect. Mm. And he did have his very human moments when being a number two, even a key number two, he thought, I'd quite like to be number one occasionally. And protective of perhaps his own family priorities 
to some degree. You know, we always like to be protective of our families, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes that causes us to perhaps make wrong judgments and to forget what God has said. There is a reference to Jesus being the great high priest. So what's the connection between Aaron and Jesus? Jesus is the great high priest because he is a priest like Aaron. He is the go-between, just as Aaron was the go-between between sinful Israel and a holy God. The book of Hebrews describes Jesus not just as the high priest, but as the great high priest, the best high priest of all, the best go-between of all. Why? Because Jesus was no one less than God himself come to us, the one who gave his life for our sins, the one who was God and so was able to deal with sin, yet who was man, and so who could deal with sin and should deal with sin. And what an honour for Aaron, this guy who at times struggled with being number two, to knowing that by the time we get to the New Testament, the very Son of God, when he came into this world, would also be called a great high priest, just as Aaron had been. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.